Church Online. It's an amazing resource, right? For instance, say you've got sick kids. No problem. Or you're trying to attend church and get ready for company at the same time. We got you covered. Kickoffs at noon and you want to make sure you're home in time? Okie doke. Just not feeling like shaking a thousand hands today? Looks like it might rain? Look, just hop on your smart TV or your cell phone and join us at Church Online. You can worship in the comfort of your home. You can even wear your pajamas to church. Nobody will ever know. But what about that next week when you return to church? You walk in the door to judgmental George wondering where you've been. And then your small group leader, Susie Sarcastic, walks up to you, puts her hand on your shoulder, and asks how Pastor Pillow and Deacon Sheets were last week. Ha! Man, that joke never gets old. Oh wait, yes it does. You walk across the atrium, there's critical Karen asking if this is your first time. You go to drop your kids off and disapproving Dave asks you to step over to the visitor's registration. I mean, it's only been one week. And by the way, you actually attended church online. Well, if you're sick of Sally Sourface and Henry Holier Than Thou, do we have a solution for you? From the makers of the I Tithe Online button and the Hospitality Glove 5000, we would like to introduce to you the I Attend Church Online button. Sure, it's just a button, but this button has the power to turn condescension into positive attention. Put this button on and all your worries are done. Now I know you're probably thinking, does this kind of judgment actually happen? Well, I can tell you that it does. Because not only am I the president of the I Attend Church Online Button Corporation, but I'm also a client, and I approve this message. I know you might also be thinking, couldn't someone skip church entirely and just put this button on the next week to make it appear they attended church online? Well, since we're out of time for questions, let me tell you how you can order your I Attend Church Online button. To order your I Attend Church Online button, please send three easy payments of $9.95, 7 pennies, plus $27 shipping to I Attend Church Online button, care of Brian Spalti, First Christian Church, Decatur, Illinois, 62526. Order within the next 13 seconds, and you'll also receive a signed glossy of Josh Koskinen absolutely free. All right. I know you're all planning to order those online, aren't you? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Just think, I get to work with those people every week. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. Welcome again to First Christian Church. My name is Wayne. If not, I've not had the opportunity to meet you, I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to spend some time in Scripture together. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. If you grab a Bible and turn there, or maybe on your smartphone. Welcome to everybody from the East Auditorium, and everybody down in Lovington who's uh, participating in worship there, as well as those of you who are joining us via um, the, the uh, church online today. While you're looking for Ephesians chapter 5, um, I'd like to see if I could um, more or less get you to remember something that's occurred in your life sometime in the past. You're sitting in a restaurant, maybe with your child, your grandchild, or someone else's children, and you're wondering, when is the food ever going to come to take care of these kids? Because it seems like the younger they are, the, uh, sh- the longer the period of time it is between when you sit down and when you get to order and the food shows up. These days, restaurants have developed ways to make that time appear. They haven't fooled anyone. 
But to make that time appear to be a little bit more kid-friendly, customer-friendly, they give out, you know, do you want a children's menu? And uh, that means you've got some puzzles that they can work with, or they'll give you crayons, right? Well, it's occurred to me in the past, what happens if a family takes the crayons and then they leave? I mean, you, have you ever gone to a restaurant and they're giving you a box of old crayons? No, it's always a new box of crayons. and There's no crayon stubs, but you leave stu- stubs behind. What happens to all those crayons? Well, apparently, a fella out in California, a father out there had the same idea. His name is Brian Ware, and he was at a restaurant with his kids wondering, what happens to all the crayons my kids leave behind and other leads leave behind? And so he basically began this project of collecting them. And today, thousands of crayons get delivered to his doorstep, his doorstep pardon me, annually. A team of volunteers sorts all the crayons into various basic colors, and then they take them home to their kitchens and they melt them, they repackage them, and send them to literally th- all the sorts of thousands of ch- kids across the nation in hospitals. So far this year, they've diverted 215,000 crayons that would otherwise go in the landfill. It's my understanding that a crayon in the landfill takes 100 years to decompose. They put together 226 packs of new crayons, 2 million crayons, 2 million crayons are in the hands of children in hospitals all across the nation. It's called the Crayon Initiative, and it's fascinating. You can learn more about it if you, if you go online and want to participate in any way. But what, what struck me when I saw that story this week was, man, there's a guy that stepped into a situation and had this, I've had the question, what happens to all these crayons? And he thought, what am I going to do about it? And so... He's making a difference in the lives of thousands of kids. It's an opportunity that was in front of him. He noticed it, and then he did something. That's what our topic is going to be today. When we have an opportunity in front of us, how are we going to manage that? So if you'll read with me in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 8. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now we've looked at that, sort of the, that portion of the passage in weeks past. He says, live as children of light and find out what pleases the Lord. And he, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Ephesus, by the way, and he's, there's a young pastor there by the name of Tim. It's kind of, Timothy is um, Paul's protege, if you will, and has a, he has a very real interest in this church, this congregation. So this is a letter to Timothy and to the whole congregation. He says, live as children of light and don't be, not be darkness. And he gives us what, the, what light is all about. He says, live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's even shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. In other words, if you have risen from the de- if you have risen in Christ as Christ rose from the dead, his light is shining on you, and you are supposed to illuminate the world around you. And then verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, this is the same text that we've been looking at really now for three weekends. And it appears that Brian Ware out in California with the Crayon Initiative, I don't know his, his faith background in any way, but regardless of that faith perspective, 
at least we must say they saw an opportunity. They saw that it wasn't good for those, things, those crayons to go in the landfill. And so they saw this opportunity. They're making the most of it. They stepped into it. They're doing exactly what Scripture says. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. So I would simply ask you today, how's that going? How are you doing when it comes to following the Bible's injunctions to say, each, step, each, each setting that, that I step into, how am I doing with making the most of that opportunity? What does that mean? Well, to make the most of every opportunity is really about stewardship, right? It's a surrender to say, I'm going to let God be in charge of this moment that I've stepped into. And if that's the case, I'm going to give up some control. I'm going to trust that God is going to help me make the most of this opportunity. It's about stewardship. So uh, throughout this sermon series over the last three weeks, we've been examining our lives when it comes to this control versus trust. This, well, what does it mean to say I'm all in, that God has all of me? We started by asking, does God have control of all of who I am? Last week it was what I do, and this week is what I own. It's seen in that graphic that Crystal made for us, and we've covered the first two circles already, and then today we're going to look at what does it mean to say that God is control of all I own? Look again at the logo, if you will please, where the two L's on the word all move from being an L to actually being, um, if you will, DNA strands. Do you see that there? That there's this sense, what we're asking you to consider throughout this series is at the very core of who you are, who's in control? Is it you or is it God? Right down at your deepest level. To that end, take a look at another passage of scripture that goes along with this. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul the apostle says, since you've been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's the goal. Set your mind on stuff up there. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And I want you to notice a premise here in this passage of Scripture. It's a directive to Christians. Why would I say that? Well, it's because since you've been raised with Christ, he's speaking to people who have bought into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's speaking to people who are claiming Jesus Christ as their Savior. He's claiming to people who say, well, I'm a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you're saying, I'm relying on Jesus' resurrection from the dead, raised with Christ. I'm relying on his work on the cross. So it probably speaks to, I would suggest, most of us here, perhaps not all of us here today or all of us online or whatever the case might be Christians, but from the many of us are. And for those of us who are Christians, this is Paul saying, since you've been raised with Christ, that's who we are, then set your hearts on things above. Now, the, the, the original Greek there is all about what do you concentrate on? What's the concentration and the focus of your life? Focus on matters of heaven and not on earth. Does that mean that things of earth don't matter? No, he's not saying that. Paul is not suggesting you discount your family or your job or your house, your finances, your health. He's not suggesting that in any way. Instead, the scripture is asking us to keep the end goal the end goal. Namely, don't just, uh, it's not escapism, if you will. 
It's not like just I'm out of here, but more so it's how do I get a balanced view of with the stuff I have to do here? How do I keep that in perspective of the end goal, the end goal being um, looking and acting like Jesus Christ, being a person who honors God, looking at the world and people through a God lens. How do I do that? That's what's going on there. And Jesus spoke to this issue. He was asked lots of questions while he was here on earth and about this, that, and the other. One time a group of people came to him and said, hey, how is the, how is it the, what's the best way to do life? And Jesus responded this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind. Focus on heavenly matters. And then, love your neighbor as yourself. There's the balanced view. Focus on the things of heaven. Do that by loving your neighbor like you'd want to be loved yourself. Concentrate on things above. You want to know how to trust God with all your stuff, the things your own? Love God. Love others. And how do you do that with your stuff? I mean, I don't, I'm not necessarily right now talking about your money. I mean, your stuff, you own more than money. How do you love God and love people, making the most of every opportunity, concentrating on more than earthly matters? It involves far more than your money. For example, it, it involves your time, right? Who owns your time? A person who is concentrating on the things above while living here on earth evaluates the use of his or her time. And maybe I could explain it this way, by um, suggesting that all of us here today, let's all leave uh, this afternoon and we'll fly out to Baltimore, Maryland, and we're going to get on a cruise ship. All right, and we're going to get on that ship, and we're going to three days at sea, and we're going to end up in Bermuda three days later. You up for that? Be fun, wouldn't it? Now, when we get on board that ship, we're all going to be there, but there are also going to be some other people besides us. For example, there might be someone on board that ship who might consider themselves a stowaway. Now, for us, we want to go to Bermuda, but the stowaway doesn't really care where he or she is going. They just want out of they just want out of Baltimore, Maryland, for whatever reason, and they're going to be down in the hold, having no sense of saying to say where we have to go or what we have to do. I just want out of here. Then. There's going to be you and me. We're going to be really thrilled that we're going to Bermuda. And so when it comes to the destination and the direction of where it's going, who are we? We're passengers. We are, we are fully on board. We are, we're sitting in the, you know, in the chaise loungers, the chaise loungers. We are, we're swimming in the pool. We're eating all that fine food. And we are really glad to be passengers on board that ship. And we're very engaged compared to a stowaway. We're very engaged in where the ship is going to end up. Now, there might be occasionally, from time to time, some other people who show up on a ship who are very engaged in where the ship is going, but they are not wanting to go to Bermuda. Who would they be? They might be pirates. If pirates showed up, they're very active. They're far more active than us passengers. Us passengers, we're laying down. We're swimming in the pool, but a pirate, he's, he or she's, she, they're working to take over the ship and put it in a new direction. Now, there's one group of people on board our cruise who you haven't seen yet. Who would that be? The crew members, right? The crew are fully engaged in where we're going, and they are fully engaged in working to get us there. Pirate? Working, but not going to where we want to be. Stowaway, could care less. 
Not doing any work, hiding, couldn't care where we go, passengers, they love where they're going, but they're not doing anything. Now, I say that because I want to have a pastoral moment with our congregation, if I may. Because what would it be like if we were to say that that cruise ship is the congregation called First Christian Church? Do we have stowaways? Do we have pirates? Do we have passengers? And do we have crew in the life of our church? We just completed our Serve Together celebration. You saw a video from it just a few moments ago. We had an evening where we had lots of fun and laughter and we celebrated 827 people. It's great news. 827 people of our congregation who serve in, catch this, 1,539 positions of service in our church and around the community. The reason we know that, we did a survey and we asked the congregation and staff members, who do you have serving where and what are they doing? And we, took, we figured it out. 827 people serving in 1,539 positions around the community. It's great, it's excellent, it's really kind of, if you will, a very large footprint in our community. But as we look at our statistics of people serving, we also look at the statistics of the life of our church as a whole. We celebrate those who are serving, but I've got to say, we know that some 2,000 or so people attend our church on a regular basis. They're here one week, they're gone two weeks, Maybe you're here every week, maybe you're here for a week and then you're gone. For... We know that if you look at the life of our congregation, 2,000 people call this church home. They're here at least 12 times a year. 2,000. We celebrated 827 people serving. And if you say 827 out of 2,000, that's pretty good. The industry standard, the churches across the country would say if they can get 20% of their congregation serving, that's doing pretty good. We're doing really well. Eight and 27 out of 2,000, guess what the percentage is? 41%. Isn't that good? Uh, is that making the most of every opportunity? Is that all of us saying, all of me? Because if it's 2,000 people and only 20, 827 are serving, how many does that leave behind? Do the math, 1,173. I'm really glad that 1,173 people beyond those serving are in the life of our church. But it means that 1,173 people are not crew members. They were passengers for the most part. And I would have a pastoral word for you today. Get out of the pool. Stand up from the Chase Lounge Step away from the buffet. Step away from the buffet. We are just feeding, feeding, feeding. And do some exercise with all that you receive. Would it be possible we could move the dial? Here's why. You need to serve. Christians don't own their own time, right? When we say Jesus is Lord, that he's my, he's my leader, then our time becomes his. And Imagine what our, foot, our church's footprint could be in the community for the sake of Jesus Christ if we could get from 41 to 61 to 81 to 91. Maybe not everybody, but sure, why not 100% of our people engaged? There'd be more opportunities in front of us. There'd be more ways that we could say, how can we be wise in this moment? 
It's not that we would grow in numbers. That would be the case, absolutely. Not that we would necessarily grow in depth, though. I think that would be the case as well. Mostly, for the sake of Jesus Christ, we'd grow in ministry. We would show that we love God by loving people. You know, Scripture says to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Is it feasible that we would describe our day as evil? In that light, it makes sense for us to make the most of every opportunity that comes our way. So are you serving? Praise the Lord, 827 people. It's more than last year. I love it. It was such a fun night. And more so than that, I love being in the community and saying, oh, I met somebody from First Christian Church. They're serving over here. Or we got people in the hospitals. We got people in the schools. And it's all great stuff. But what would, what, would it, what would it look like for the kingdom of God if we all took, put a shoulder to the wheel? There are staff members ready today to help you move into a position of service. You'll find them at Connection Point. If you say, man, I, don't, I haven't got a clue what to do. I've got one hour a month. Okay, we can use that. We can find a place for you. I've got 10 hours a month. We can find a place for you. I've, got, I've, 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 I've only got this week in the year. We'll find a way to use that. What can you do? Let me give you two ideas of some things that are coming up right now. The choir is about to start a brief summer session this Tuesday night. It's in your bulletin. May I suggest you take a look at it? It runs through the end of June when the group will present some very special music during the last weekend of June. We're planning for you to show up Tuesday, in other words. And um, it's called Hymnoscope. And so if you can sing, if you can sing sort of, you don't know if you can sing, hey, come out on Tuesday night, we'll put you to work and see how it works. Four weeks of rehearsal and then a presentation. Do you have to read music? No. You have to be able to read words. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe you can memorize. Whatever the point. Give it a shot. Try it for four weeks and see what it's like. Oh, here's another spot. There's a constant need for hospitality in our lobbies, in our building, and in our auditoriums, serving communion. You know, just here in, in First Christian Church, let alone Lovington, everywhere, everywhere else we are, serving communion each weekend, it takes 40 people to serve communion over the five services that we have on a weekend. Three in the West Auditorium, two in the East Auditorium. 40 people. Can you do this? Some of you can't. I know that. Some people, I mean, seriously, some people can't do that. Their arms, you know, I get it. But if you're able to do this, there's a three-minute job for you to serve communion one time a week, one time a month, okay? Can we step into some ideas? There's some hospitality training for that coming up. You can find that in your bulletin. And there are many, many other places to serve. Stop by the Connection Point for more information. Consider surrendering your time so that we are not pew potatoes. You know, couch potatoes. Watch everything on TV and never do anything. Let's move away from being pew potatoes, friends. Stop by the connection point for more information. We'll help you find this place of service. Of course, if we're going to talk also about surrendering everything we own, it does include more than our time. It does include our stuff. Can I say even our money? And when Jesus said, love God, love people, um, I'll have to be candid and say, one of the ways that that's expressed is with our money. How do you love God and love people with your money? Well, the Bible gives us two ways. It's not a prescribed dollar amount. It's not like the Bible says, well, everybody has to give $100 a year. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say everybody's got to give $1,000 a year or $10,000 a year. What the Bible says uh, is uh, two ways that you should think about your giving. And um, 
If you're a guest with us today, thanks for being with us. We're going to have a chat about this. It comes up from time to time, and you get to be here today. The reason the Bible doesn't give a prescribed dollar amount is because that would be unfair to people who are well off. If the rich gave the same dollar amount as the non-rich could afford, then the rich would never learn the joy of complete generosity or the freedom of fully trusting God for all things. And yet also, if we the poor were or you know, less resourced people were required to give what rich people could give, it, would be out of, it, w- it wouldn't be possible. So the Bible has two standards that are not dollar amount in focus. One is tithe, and the other is generosity. In the days before Jesus, in the Old Testament times, a tithe was expected one-tenth of all your money should be given, this Bible says, should be given to the place where you receive spiritual direction. In our case, the Old Testament expects that all of us here would give 10% of our income to the church, straight up. No apologies about that. That's what's expected. But Jesus in the New Testament, you know, the New Testament always takes the Old Testament law and expands on it. And so the New Testament approach is that Jesus went further. He expected his followers to... um, Go beyond the Old Testament practice of 10%. The tithe was the starting point, and then generosity comes along after that. And so, maybe to put some rubber to the road on this, I thought I would be really candid with you today about how Leslie and I manage this. Just straight up. This is the approach that Leslie and I have had all of our married life. We start with 10% of our income. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God in the first place anyways. We're just going to, it just kind of flows as a conduit through our bank, if you will. And then we prayerfully ask God for direction about generosity beyond the first 10%. percent i got to tell you, friends, when you live there, it's really quite freeing. Here's why. Like you, we get all kinds of appeals in the mail. You get phone calls. You get things on, online. And uh, you get people asking. You go to events. You go to banquets and this, that, and the other. And we're, we're sort of susceptible in some ways to, we all are, to some emotional pull or almost a moment of guilt, and you give out a guilt, and that's never a good reason to give, isn't it? Isn't it a good reason to give because you want to make the most of the opportunity, not guilt? And so in our case, since we've already know we're following what Scripture calls us to do, when those moments come along, we can literally say, for us, since I work here, we can say, we gave at the office. But then we not only give at the office, we give other places as well. And so what, what do you give? Is, does, does, generos, does tithe plus a generosity mean 11%? Does it mean 15%? Does it mean 35%? Well, in our lives, it's changed over the years. We started off married life at 10% plus a few hundred dollars. Excuse me, that's all we could literally seem to put together. But there are other moments when, when doing our taxes, we'll look back and go, man, we, 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 would tithe, we tithe all year long. That's kind of our baseline. And then we decide to be generous beyond that. And there are moments and years where we go, man, we've given 20% of our income away this year. And we didn't. How cool is that? Why am I pleased with that? Because this is us concentrating on things of heaven. It's so essential that, to, to, to prayerfully examine how we live. So I want to ask you this question. How can your financial resources be used to love God and love people? If your income is $25,000 or less, and we have a significant portion of our congregation that live at that level and below, and I'm I'm really glad that we have, you know, people of all kinds of means in the life of our church. We reflect our community in many ways. And so if it's $25,000 or less, then who are we kidding? 10% is a ton of money for you. And to give another $30 beyond that, that's generous. Thank you for being 
Congratulations for being like that. But if your income is $250,000 and it's 10% plus $30, I want to go, maybe it's time to do an evaluation. So, so uh, my sense was is dealing with this very sensitive topic today. Um, what can I give you the way that you could go home and say, this is how we're going to take a look at this. How could we discover a things above generosity level? And that, so I, I've, I've been doing a lot of reading lately, and I got some ideas that I've put together in the context of Forest Christian Church from a guy by the name of Kirk Nowry. If you want more information, I can give you this, but give it to you. But um, here's, here's a list, if you will, of discovering a things above generosity level that he kind of primed my thinking. First of all, take an inventory. What do you have? What's a way to move from non-generosity to generosity? In other words, if, if I'm surrendering all of me down to the very core of who I am, my DNA, has my surrender reached the point of generosity? If not, then I'd suggest it's time for a change-up. And if you need help with this, please reach out to those of us on staff. Chat with one of the pastors with confidentiality. Say, Man, I just got to have some help to figure out how do I get there? Um, we can help you concentrate on this non-earthly, this heavenly matter. Then secondly, think about investment. This is a sound practice when it comes to generosity. Steady gifts over time add up to kingdom results. Again, back to what Leslie and I have done. We've always supported from, from the beginning days of our marriage. We've always supported our church with 10% of our gifts. But then there are other places and other people where we support endeavors with smaller dollar amounts, what we could afford, what we thought was appropriate, and you know, $25 a month here, $50 a month there, people who were dear to our hearts, organizations or missionaries, um, all that sort of stuff, and you get the idea. And You'd say, well, $50 a month doesn't sound like much, that's only 600 bucks a year. Does that really change the life or the cause of our mission? And you go, well, over time, I did the math. $50 a month, over our married life of 37 years is more than $22,000. So over time, those monthly gifts do, do add up dramatically. Give strategically, friends. Be certain that when you give, that you're giving to an organization or a person that's really going to use your dollars wisely. How are the dollars being used? Um, let me explain. As you give to First Christian Church, I know that you expect the dollars you give to be used with wisdom and care. It says, make the most of every opportunity, not as unwise, but as wise. So if you're going to give some money, is it going to a wise place? We work hard as the leaders of your church to earn your trust, and we work diligently to keep your trust in this area. Here's an example. I want you to take a look at what happened here in the life of our building just a few weeks ago. Um, the roof above the East Auditorium decided to become a sailboat. Um, the wind caught it. It's not supposed to do that. I don't know if your roof does that, but ours is not supposed to do that. And so it got quite damaged on a bad wind day, and the damage, $28,000. Now, here's the good news. Uh, you see those gentlemen repairing it. it was re it's already been repaired to the tune of $28,000. How? Well, since we strive to use the church's funds with wisdom, each month, the leadership team sets aside money for a rainy day fund so that when an emergency comes up, we want to be ready. We don't want to come to you every time there's an unanticipated need because that would indicate that we haven't done our planning properly. 
Instead, you trust us, and part of that trust involves us making decisions, not only for just now, but what might we need in three years from now? What what might we need in five years from now that we're already putting money aside for now? So when the roof tore off, literally tore off, we had funds in place, ready for the repair, and we didn't have to come back to and say, oh, we're in an emergency now. It, and it was, it was a, a dramatic moment when that roof was thumping. You should have been in the East Auditorium, man, on that Wednesday. And I knew we were spending money pretty With each boom, we were spending more money. You get the idea, right? But it wasn't a panic moment. I know of congregations where that's a panic moment. It wasn't. It was like, okay, we got this taken care of. Our people have been generous in the past. You know, lots of people are all in. And we've got the funds needed. It's it's the same for other basic, more common needs. Many of the air conditioning units in our building are well past 20 years old. We moved in in 1996, so 23 years ago now. So um, already twice this year, we've had to replace two air conditioning units. They're old. They've just worn out. And that's anywhere from five to eight to $10,000 per unit. Again, we had the funds on hand. Why? Because... We want to make the most of every opportunity and the resources we have. So finally for our list today, enjoy what God has given you, but don't own it. God has graciously given you a lot of financial resources. And there are people here who have way more than everybody else. And I'm really glad you're here. And there are some here who have way less than everybody else. And I'm really glad you're here. Regardless of how much you have, share Share joyfully, not reluctantly. Examine your heart. If there's a reluctance to share, then who's really in charge of your life and your life resources? Learn the joy of generosity with all you own, not just your money, but with all your stuff. And to make certain you realize that this chat today is not really about your money, but more so about your DNA, here's a beginning list of my stuff that I put together this week to see if your list of your stuff might be similar. Because I want to be generous with all that I have, which includes my job, my emotions. When I'm happy, I need to share that with other people. When I'm not happy, I probably need to share it with other people. When I, you know, one of the things that is really important to me is some quiet time and alone time. So I keep my focus on things of Christ. But sometimes I could become an introvert. And I have to share and say, okay, I'm going to step out of that. What about my hobby? Do I, people get to enjoy what I do as a hobby? Do, 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 is my schedule flexible? Because I own my schedule, if you will. You do, right? My family. Do I share my family with other people or my money, my career? You know, preachers have careers. We really do. We start in seminary, many of us, and we work for 40 years. And there is a career aspect to our, to our ministry role. And do I share my career with others? Do I share my church with others or my car? What if somebody came to you and said, hey, I really need to borrow your car. Can I? We have a little old, we have a little Ford Ranger pickup. I think it's a 2003, maybe, Leslie? It's old. It's really old. It's almost older than me. Anyways, and the neighborhood knows. I have people in the neighborhood said, hey, can you come with me to, can I have you drive my truck, your truck? And I said, here, you drive it. <laughs> it's a manual transmission. A lot of them turn me down, but that's a different matter. <laughs> but if they want to borrow it, go for it. What about your dreams? Are your dreams shareable and you can bring other people into them or your, your, your house? Are other people allowed to come to your house? Your cell phone. Who owns your cell phone or does the cell phone own you? Your collections and your habits, your likes, your dislikes, your relationships, 
you service your app. Let me talk to the one about fear, okay? Are there some fears you have that God would say, hey, it's time to go past those, and um, maybe one way in which you could share your fear would be to get past it and move in a new direction. Your responsibilities, your reputation. Here's something. So, you know, the church, as I said, we have a fairly large uh, footprint in the community. And so there are lots of places where I go where people know me, and I don't particularly know them. It's really weird. And so at every, every place I go in this community, I'm always aware that if I don't speak kindly, I really usually have pastor, First Christian Church, written right here, and, people, and I may not know that people know that. Probably twice a week it happens. I'm thinking, did I treat him right? Did I, you know? What happens if at the, at, at the filling station, you go in and you get a soda and they, they don't treat you right? Are you going to respond in kind? Or you're at the restaurant. You're, you're be, it's your prerogative to be, I don't want to talk to the server and I don't want to treat, treat, you know, and you go, what if they go wrong? Are you willing to share your reputation? You get the idea, right? It comes down to the very core of your being, down at your DNA. Who are you? You're able to reach out and say, all of me, I'm all in. Whatever, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll dive into whatever's in front of me. So t- with that in mind, I want you to um, think about this. I'll conclude with this. The Toronto Blue Jays were in Tampa Bay this past week. For those who are not familiar, that's baseball, okay? Toronto versus Tampa Bay. Actually, St. Petersburg is where, they, where Tampa Bay is, but nonetheless, it's where they're, well, doesn't matter. Toronto versus Tampa. The Blue Jays, Toronto, the pitcher was on the mound. He was in a bit of trouble. He'd already had one guy on base, and the way it was going down, it looked like he was going to get a second guy on base, and he didn't want that. Or perhaps if the, guy really, if the batter really hit the bat well, it might be a home run. ended up with two runs. And sure enough, he threw a pitch that was the perfect line for the batter. And the batter took a swing... And it looked like the ball was going to go out of the field, if not out of the field, all the way to the wall. And one run was going to be brought in, and he would at least get to second base, if not third base. And it was not a good scene. However, as the batter smacked that ball out into left center field, the pitcher had a backup man there. Center fielder goes from center field and races all the way to the back track, all the way out in left field, and catches the ball with this incredible dive. You want to see what it looked like? Here's the video. High fly ball deep to center field. Jonathan Davis racing. Jonathan Davis just saved two runs for Chet Thornton. A terrific catch, and his speed allowed him to run it down, and then the leap, and he made the catch on the warning track in the deepest part of his field. Jonathan Davis, playing for the 13th time this season, saves a couple of runs for Trent Thornton. Now, I want you to know I've been working with Davis over the last year, and he's got a whole lot better. I've been his coach. (laughs) You know what I like about that? You see the guy and he lands and there's dust that flies everywhere. And he's, is he all in? He's flying through the air, reaching out his hand and managed. Oh, 
I couldn't do it for all the tea in China. Fly through the arm, outstretched. If, I, if you threw me that way, I'd be in a crumpled ball at the back end going, no, don't do that again. But Davis could. You know why? Practice. Years and years of diligent work paid off in that moment. It was, think about it. He started practicing as a youngster in the backyard, playing t-ball with somebody, maybe dad or mom. There were, had to be dozens upon dozens upon dozens of hot days on dusty fields in the summer some 20 years ago. He's 27 years old. But all that practice paid off this week. Years of work made a difference at the right moment. He was able to be all in. Talk about all in. You're tearing all the way from center field, all the way to that left corner, and then reaching out and flying through the air and grabbing the ball. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to do it just once? I would. At the warning track, when it was most needed, he showed up. At the last moment, friends, you could show up. Practice generosity this week. Grow, learn, surrender to God's plan for your life and your stuff. And then when the moment comes when you're needed on the warning track, guess who's going to be there all stretched out and ready and just all in, flying through the air, expecting the dust when you, to, to go poof when you land. That's going to be you. How cool is that going to be? Because you love God, you love people, and you're all in. Would you stand together, please, in both auditoriums? Let's stand together right now. And uh, I want to pray for us together. And as I pray, um, I'm going to pray that God would speak to you in these areas of life. That if you're struggling a little bit, you'd have the courage to come and have some conversation maybe or just step into a new practice of generosity. If you're, not here, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, we'd love to have a chat with you about that and I'm going to pray for you. And then after the prayer, the worship team will be out in both rooms and we'll be uh, stepping into a time of worship together. And as we worship, if you have a need that you'd like to say, I'd like someone to pray with me about this. Um, maybe about the matter we've talked about today or coming to know Jesus Christ, whatever the case, I would like to pray with you. But let's start with some prayer right now. Father, I think about that baseball player flying through the air and there's something within me, Lord, that says, Man, how sweet would it be if we could all do that in regards to our, our um, willingness to go in the places and to go with all the energy and, and just the oh, complete abandonment to all the things that you might have in front of us. Lord, it might happen in a ball game, but God, could we do it in life? Could we love God and love people with that intensity, with that amount of passion and that complete all-in attitude? God, help us to live that way this week. For those, Lord, here or watching online who don't know you yet, help them, Lord, to take that flying leap toward you. Lord, for those who have found this discussion about the stuff we own challenging, give them courage. Give them a sense of your call upon their lives, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen.